Hi, friends. I am so thankful for all who have led in worship here today and for the Murray family for ushering us into the first Sunday of Advent by lighting the hope candle. Today, we finish a sermon series called Faith Full, where we have been talking about Christian faith while also beginning the season of Advent today. The title of today's sermon is Hopeful Faith, the Conviction of Things Unseen. Our scripture today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. Hear these words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. As we begin, let us pray together. We come convinced of many things, but trusting very few. Holy God of limitless surprises. Meet us here in this place as we touch that which we cannot see, that which we have not dared to hope. Amen. Are you a pessimist or an optimist? Is the glass of life half empty or half full? My best friend and I have gone back and forth about this for many years. I am wildly optimistic about most things. And sometimes my friend would say that my optimism, my hopefulness, borders on downright irrational. If the weather forecast says there's a 70% chance of a snowstorm coming, so awful that it will keep us in our houses with no electricity for weeks, I will focus seriously on the 30% chance that it's going to be a nice day after all. My best friend, meanwhile, will begin adjusting her travel plans, prepping for all the supplies needed for the storm, and making a backup plan for the day. I call her a pessimist, but she would argue that she's simply a realist, trying to prepare for the thing that is most likely to happen, whether she likes that thing or not. I, however, would say I don't want to be disappointed twice both by thinking something bad is going to happen and then by having the bad thing actually happen. I'd rather be hopeful and enjoy my state of hopefulness, even if it doesn't work out that way later on. So how about you? Pessimist? Optimist? Realist? Are you a hopeful person? This Advent, our children and families will be getting an Advent devotional in their email to do each week that goes along with our themes in worship, hope, peace, joy, and love. And in this family devotion, each theme will be matched with a familiar snippet of a Christmas carol. 
This is lucky for them, since I tend to be a stickler about singing Advent carols during Advent and Christmas carols when it is finally Christmas. But this year, I'm trying to branch out and mixing it up a little and using the familiar carols along with the moving, more somber hymns of longing for Advent to help us prepare for the season. This week, we're thinking about hope and what it means to be hopeful in this season of Advent. And our song snippet, here is a spoiler alert for those getting the email tomorrow, is a thrill of hope taken from the classic O Holy Night. Now, O Holy Night was written in 1843. In a little town in France, the church organ had recently been renovated, and the priest asked a local writer to write a Christmas poem. He wrote what we now know as O Holy Night, or Song of Christmas, in French. And a composer wrote a familiar tune to go along with it. A few short years later, a Unitarian minister, John Sullivan Dwight, wrote the English version of the text, much more a paraphrase than an actual translation. But the phrase, thrill of hope, appears relatively unchanged in both the French and the English. In our familiar version, we hear, long lay the world in sin and error pining, for till he appeared and the soul felt his worth, its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The text tells us that the world was waiting, longing, pining for something, as it sat in sin and error. Perhaps you can relate to that feeling. When you know that your life is off track, when you know you're going in the wrong direction, when you know that you aren't living either as God or you wants you to live, when you know that life seems unfulfilling, that you don't relish in staying where you are, you are longing, hoping, pining for some way to get out of the pit. This is the state of the whole world, waiting on God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And then, a thrill of hope. We're weary, but rejoicing. Morning is breaking and light is canceling out the darkness. Advent is a season of hope. But I believe that we are called to something more than just passive hope, something more than a vague feeling as we sit at the bottom of that pit that something better might come along eventually, something that we can't see yet. So what kind of hope are we meant to cultivate this season? Our scripture today is from Hebrews 11, and at first glance, seems an interesting choice for an Advent scripture. In fact, both Noel and I mentioned today, we don't know that we've ever heard an Advent um, sermon on Hebrews 11, but we're about to hear two today. If you tune into the live stream later, you can hear Noel. But these verses bring hope rooted in deep faith together in such a beautiful way. In elementary school, at one of those end-of-year children's Sunday programs, my class was responsible for each student picking out and reading a favorite Bible passage. This passage from Hebrews was one of my favorites and one that I chose to read. Something appealed to me about the poetry of the passage, the repeated rhythms later on that say, by faith, by faith, by faith. 
at all the Bible stories I knew seemingly wrapped into one. In today's selection of verses, we get a cut. We start out with perhaps the most famous verse about faith in the whole Bible. The author's definition, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then the author continues, describing the faith of the ancestors. We hear and read about Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Isaac, but the author also writes about Abel, as we heard, Noah, Enoch, David, Gideon, Samson, and others. It is a litany of faith of those who responded to God's call by faith. Faith in things unseen. Hope in what was to come. What do we do by faith? And how do we hear and respond to God's call faithfully? I think that we do things by faith every single day. Beyond trusting that it is the wind that we can't see that makes the breeze, I think it takes an amazing amount of faith just to live in this world. Now, sometimes I think about driving a car. The amount of faith it takes to trust that the hundreds, maybe thousands of cars we pass will stay in their right lane, hopefully. We have to have faith in all of those drivers. We usually don't even give it much thought, and yet we're putting our faith in other human beings who we've never even met. I think we perform similar acts of faith every single day in the everyday things of our lives. And yet, when it comes to having faith in God, we're challenged, we're overwhelmed, we're full of doubts, we feel like we're not up to what God asks of us. We're not sure God really calls us, and we're definitely not sure how to respond to that call. If we can have faith in each other, most of the time anyway, why is having faith in God so hard? Why is believing that God calls us so hard? I'm starting to think that part of the problem is that we make faith God's call, answering God's call, such a special and unique thing in our minds. It's kind of the same problem we have with prayer. When we talk about prayer with children, we talk about how prayer is just that, talking. It's just that we're talking to God, but we give prayer this special name and add all the pressure to be perfect and eloquent, and we're suddenly a mess about talking to God. I think maybe it's the same way with faith. We have faith in things all the time, and we're looking for direction, meaning, all the time. And then God enters, putting faith in us, seeking faith in return, and trying to give us direction, and we're suddenly a mess. So why is having faith in God so hard? I think maybe we equate having faith in God with the belief that God will make sure everything goes smoothly in our lives. If we only have faith, we will prosper. If we only have faith, we will be protected from harm, from evil, from disaster, from pain and loss. We set ourselves up to believe that our faith in God is actually faith in God as a sort of guardian angel or something. But we limit ourselves and our faith, and we certainly limit God with that view of faith. For better or for worse, faith in God does not guarantee us some shield of protection, at least not the kind that prevents bad things from happening in our lives. 
I've seen many people come to struggle and have doubts in faith because of a death of a loved one, because of loss or hardship suffered, seeing these events as a sign that God is not really here or God does not really care, signs that faith in God is not warranted. If we're trying to have faith in God as the guardian angel, our faith will disappoint us. But our whole biblical witness calls out to us that it is not, that is not what faith is or what faith has been through the ages. Jesus tries to warn us throughout his teachings that our faith in God will likely cause suffering, persecution, and bad intentions from those around us. Our faith in God is no promise of a contented life, at least not by society's standards. Indeed, if you read over today's passage from Hebrews and read the rest of the chapter that we didn't read this morning, you'll see a litany of people who had faith in God, but who did not exactly have the most peaceful life as a result. They had faith in God's promises, in things unseen to them. Abel is mentioned in our, our, service, or our scripture today as a man of faith, and Abel was murdered by his own brother because of his faith and his brother's lack of faith. Moses had faith to lead the people from Egypt, yet never made it to the promised land that God described. And the author mentions the countless others in faith were tortured, flogged, imprisoned, or killed throughout Christian history. On top of that, Hebrews 11 says at the end, all of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. This is what your faith may bring you. Now, before we get discouraged on the first Sunday of Advent and figure that maybe we don't want faith, we must turn back to the question, what is our faith all about? Our faith is in God, not God's magical powers to bless us, but in God and God's never-ending, unfailing love for us. It is our faith in God, our knowledge that God loves us, that gives us strength even when we have made mistakes, have sinned, have caused pain or hurt to our neighbors. It is our faith that supports us even when our lives are filled with loss or stress or worry or hardship. Our faith in God, that God is always with us and loving us no matter what. It's pretty hard to find that love anywhere else. It is faith like this that allows us to take the life-changing risks like those that the people of faith recorded in Hebrews took. They risked home and family status and their possessions, security and shelter, and even their very lives to follow God's call because in their faith, they knew that God loved them and that God would go with them. Their faith was rooted in their hope, the conviction of things unseen to them, their knowledge of what was to come. These may not be nativity words, but they are definitely Advent words. Have faith, be assured, you may not see it yet, but have hope in what is to come. How about you? Are you a hopeful person? And what are you hoping for this season? How are you longing, pining for God to be at work in your life right now? And what are you doing because of that hope? The author of Hebrew writes, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, 
for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I think how we hope is important. Sometimes we know why we are hopeful, but we don't let the hope spur us into action. Deep hope built in our faith and trust in God is an act of longing that starts working right away to embody and enact the very thing for which we are hopeful. In the beginning of quarantine, I read a book called Becoming the Answer to Our Prayers by Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. In it, they write, the longer we pray, the more we are sure of this. Prayer is not so much about convincing God to do what we want God to do as it is about convincing ourselves to do what God wants us to do. That's sort of how I think about hope. We hope for the possibility of God's work in the world, and then we get to work as God labor, God's laborers in the world, having faith that God will do what God promises, even if we can't see it yet, and getting started on our part as soon as possible. So as we begin this season of Advent, what are you hoping for when you think about God coming to us in the flesh? What is your Advent hope, and what are you going to do about it? Claiborne and Wilson Hargrove in the same book write, often when Christians talk about eternal life, we mean life after death. That's not all bad. We've both, we're both pretty excited about life after death, though neither of us are any rush to get there. But we've been asking together with our communities whether there is life before death, what we're really looking for in our life together and in the church is what First Timothy calls the life that is truly life. We have to stop promising people life after death when what we are really asking is their life before death. And the good news is, there is. Eternal life begins now. It is living in the presence of God. What really excites us is the way our God stirs up the ruins, always eager to give new life. The world will not believe that the gospel is true because we struggle hard enough to save a sinking ship. The world will believe when we practice resurrection where we are because we know the joy of new life. We practice resurrection because we know and have hope and faith in things unseen. This Advent, I'm hopeful, even if the weather report tells me to do otherwise. I'm hopeful that Christ is continually born in our midst, continually reminding us that God is with us. I'm hopeful enough that I have faith in God's promises, even when I cannot see them yet. Hopeful enough that I want to make sure that I'm going in God's direction, not the wrong direction. And hopeful enough that instead of waiting passively, I'm going to wait actively, working to carry out the good news right now. Because my hope is built on faith in God's promises, which never disappoint us. We're waiting, yes, but with faith by having hope even for what is unseen to us. Waiting with a thrill of hope in our hearts. And let us get to work while we wait. Amen.